Joining me today, the man who had the original vision for Sunfest, who's built out one of the most beautiful and, and spectacular in terms of, of overall vision uh, amphitheater sites in Western Canada at Lake Town Ranch. Greg Adams, pleasure to have you on the podcast. Good to be here, Jim. So you're a former NHLer, very successful business guy. What was it that drew you into the music business? The music, you know, the music business is well known for very being very turbulent, uh, and and yet you couldn't resist the temptation. Tell us how you ended up getting into it. Um, I guess uh, we we talked about this, and when you play sports, you uh, you play hockey. You're actually an entertainer. The only difference between you know a, a Broadway play and a hockey game is at the end, you know, you usually know when the fat lady's going to sing, but in hockey, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. So entertainment, we overlap. It's the same kind of business. Um, every entertainer I ever met wanted to be an athlete. Every athlete I ever met wanted to be an entertainer or wanted to be a rock star. So we were fortunate to to meet a few of the bands over the years because you share the same facility. I was always intrigued at how it was put together, the whole process, you know, met a few promoters over the years. So just overall interest in music and just love of music. And uh, like you, Jim, you know, you get, you go to work out, but if you're listening to the right music, you always work out a little harder. It motivates you. So I rode a bike for 15 years pretty extensively, and I had music in my ears from Mellencamp to Prince to the Rolling Stones, you name it bit of a classic rock guy, but, you know, Chili Peppers nowadays and uh, an awful lot of Eric Church and bands like that. So just music's always moved me. My my kids love it. They're older now. So we just kind of gravitated towards it is how it started, just a love of music. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I think that's as good a reason as any. Music is uh, is one of those things that changes your state without actually being a drug, right? Like it gives you the ability to jack yourself up or or embrace some type of emotion that maybe is connected to a memory in that song, and it's one of the beautiful things about it. And it's it's uh, it's addictive, but uh, not necessarily in a way that's pernicious. No, absolutely. So then the the beginning of my involvement with it is. Um, Lived in Washington, D.C. for years. That's where our first son was born. So at the end of hockey season, we would go to Florida. So as we got a little older, I retired from hockey. This was, uh, I'm going to say, around 1998. We went back to Florida for a family holiday. We had three kids by then. And you're always looking for things to do instead of just going to Disney World every day. So um, I saw that there was a, a ribbon wine fest in the park. And a band that my generation would know, Three Dog Night, who had huge hits, late 60s, 70s. They must have a dozen anthems. And they were playing. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. That's a big one. You know, yep. so many of them. So uh, we went to this park, and there was three, 4,000 people, nice little pop-up stage, uh, you know, probably a stage line 100. And the band played, and I'm sitting there, and I'm drinking a beer, and Jude's got a wine, and the kids got ribs. And we're listening to all this music and the atmosphere. And I turned to Judy and go, like, why don't we have this at home? And uh, I came back home, and I've always been one that's uh, not afraid to try things. And I actually phoned uh, Brian Burke, and I said, because uh, he's a good friend, and he's well-known in hockey and well-known in entertainment. I said, who do we know? And he says, uh, he gave me Brian Adams' uh, manager's name, and I phoned Brian Adams' manager. And he was polite and chatted with me for an hour and said, 
here's kind of, you know, you're crazy to do it, but if you want to do it, fill your boots on it, gave me some ideas. And uh, through Feldman, I signed uh, 5440, and we threw, uh, you know, a small concert um, at a facility here that's uh, Providence Farm, beautiful little area, and we had a 1,000 people, and it was one night. And uh, my budget the first year, it was fifty four forty, and my budget was fifty four thousand dollars. <laughs> so that was our first staging production band, the whole band. Thousand dollars. Oh, love it! Uh, you know, yeah. I lost a couple of grand, lost a few more than that, but had a hell of a party. Everyone had fun, and just one thing kind of led to another. And I just uh, over the years, uh, two years later, um, the Rolling Stones played for SARS in Toronto, and Blue Rodeo played with them on a Friday night and a Saturday night. They played for me at that same facility and I had 3,500 people and we overflowed the place and it was an incredible night. And that was my first time that I was politely kicked off a site. They said, you know, we love it. It's wonderful, but you're too big. So I moved to a second site. Same thing happened again about three or four years later, moved to a third site, which was our uh, couch and exhibition grounds. And uh, Keith Urban and Tim McGraw did me in there because we outgrew that site. And as that was happening, I started looking for land, and that's how Lake Town Ranch evolved. And also just traveling the world and traveling all North America, looking at different facilities and just imagining what we could have. And I bought the land out at, uh, out at Lake Cowichan and uh, developed uh, Lake Town Ranch five years ago, five and a half years ago. We bought the land and started developing it in January, and Carrie Underwood played our stage on August 1st. So in eight months, our family and a few close friends uh, – built a hell of a facility. That's, uh, that is a great origin story. And, and like a musician or an artist, you followed your heart into the business. Well, but at some point... Big passion. And I think the right of the do anything like this, I think every promoter, gym, people like yourself, we have a passion for it. And we're fortunate that our passion is also what we make a living in. Right. But the, uh, the reality is, even if you follow your heart into something, at some point you've got to integrate your head. You've got to start paying attention to metrics and, and, and really uh, running a tight ship in terms of financials. Because the big illusion is, for a lot of outsiders, and you started as an outsider, is that there's millions of dollars in this business and you're going to make it big the first time you do a show. Uh, your 5440 experience, you lost a few thousand dollars with your very first event. But you could probably see that if you did things a bit differently, there was a light at the end of the tunnel. There was some real potential here for you to actually do something that could be macro. Um, but a lot of people are drawn to this business, like I said, because they think they're going to make a bunch of money. That's an illusion. It is an illusion, but you know, I've been fortunate. I grew up in a – my dad worked at a pulp mill but always wanted to have a business. So when I was 10 years old, he bought a small sports shop, a mom and pop. You know, mom worked there, dad worked there. I worked there at 10 years old. I mean, at 10 years old, I'm learning to sharpen skates. But when you're with the family and you're sitting around the dinner table, you understand. I remember once we made, we had like a $240 day. And I went, $240. Boy, are we rich. Because this was 1970. And then my dad <laughs> says, yeah, but remember, we have to pay for the product. Went, oh, how much was that? He goes like, you know, $120. Okay, well, that's still a great day. We made $100. And then he, what about the rent? What about, and after he went through it, I went, holy Christ, Dad, we're broke. And so I was very fortunate, 10, 11, 12 years old, and always interested in it. 
you know, I had brothers and sisters that grew up at the same time, but didn't have the same interest. I'm just fortunate that I took a, an interest in it. So at a very young age, and even all through my 10 years of hockey, I understood that, you know, all these things are a business. And the one thing that uh, one of the best compliments I ever got was from someone in the industry that said to me, you know what, Greg, you're one of the few people that understands that you're running a business and you make it look like a party. And that's what our festivals are. They're, they're a party. They're a great time. But I'm really running a business. And I think that the people that have a hard time understanding this or a hard time surviving in this industry think that uh, they can throw a party and all the finances will work out. And it doesn't. You can get carried away spending too much. You think, well, I'll just, you know, I'll fireworks. I'll do this. I'll do that. And, yeah, it's great to do. But at the end, if you bring in a million dollars and you spend a million too, you're not going to be around a long time. And That's right. The numbers now are just getting bigger and bigger by the year. And you found a great way to balance the consumer experience and the experience of the people who buy tickets for your festival because you built a great brand around uh, the fact that when people show up, they know they're going to get their money's worth and more. Um, what are some of the competitive advantages that you believe your festival has uh, or your festival properties have, I should say, because there's multiple now, uh, over some of the other festivals out there. Like, what do you guys do to go that extra mile for the consumer to make sure that they walk away going, I'm going to buy a ticket to this next year? It, it's taking time and it's evolving every year, but it's the customer experience. And no matter how good the show is, no matter how good your experience is, I, I went to a Seattle Mariners, and no disrespect to Seattle, but I went to a Seattle Mariners game playing against the Blue Jays. So every Canadian tried to go to that game. And I went up in the third inning to get a beer. And I came back in the fifth, fifth inning with my beer in my hand. So it was two innings I had to wait. And I went back up again one more time, and they ran out of beer. So no matter how good that game is, but I came all the way from Vancouver Island. I paid for a hotel, the expense, the tickets, everything. You had it all up. You expect to at least have the creature comforts of, going to the washroom, and it's a five-minute lineup. You don't expect to just walk right in, but it's a five-minute lineup. So we have really geared ourselves to, you know, when people arrive, we try to give them as much information before they arrive, that their camping experience, you know, is seamless, that within an hour their campsite's, you know, set up, and that they're ticketing, and that their entrance, and they understand things. And then we just try to make sure that you don't wait 10 minutes for anything. And because it's your site and you're the visionary, you have the ability to make those changes carte blanche, which puts you in a different position than a lot of people who are running amphitheaters on leased land and they're working for other people. You know, you're you're able to go, you know what, I want to add 20 more washrooms just because I found the lineups were a bit long this year. That puts you in a, in a good spot. Yeah, you know, I think um, when you own your own facility, you are able to adapt to it. And, um, and Jim, you'll say, like, a lot of people think we're so fortunate we get to put on these events and be part of the party. I, half the time I'm walking around worried that the, that the lineups are too long and I'm always watching. But the toughest part of what we do when you do the festival business is you get to observe one, two, or three weekends, and each one of them is different. Our Snoop show was, I mean, we just couldn't anticipate it. You know, we sold... 100% more tickets on the, for, for the one day than we expected. And so we're trying to adapt to it. Um, so, but you follow these things, you do them once a year, 
Then you get to sit there for 11 months, make notes and go, okay, next time I'm going to do it better. Whereas in other businesses, if something doesn't work out on a, in one week, you can kind of talk to your staff, talk to people. And the next week, you can try and make adjustments or once a month. So the difference on this one is, is if you get something wrong, you got to call an audible like they do in football. You improvise as quick as you can, make it as good as you can. Go to social media, own it. You know, don't make excuses. Explain what happened. Tell them you're going to do better. And the next year, you better do better or the next event. And that's what we've done. And we have learned and learned. And we've, during COVID, we've made, we've spent a few hundred thousand dollars up there and we've made all kinds of improvements again because we know we're in this for the long haul. You know, my kids love this event and they're in their 20s and 30s and they're going to take it after I do. So we were talking a little bit about the benefit of you having the autonomy and make those changes uh, on the fly as quickly as you need to in order to improve the consumer experience. Um, one thing I do want to talk to you about is your talent selection uh, proclivities. So how do you go through your process of who you're going to put on your lineup year after year? Um, how are you measuring metrics to make sure you're putting together a lineup that's going to be compelling for your customers? I, I think when I originally started, I made all the rookie mistakes and luckily I was fortunate. It started in classic rock and it also started 20 years ago. So we had more options for kind of rock, classic rock. It was more Canadiana. Um, so starting out, I was picking bands that I liked, you know, because it was a one day show, but then as it grew and, uh, I hope I say this really respectfully, um, I'm now a country fan, but I'm really, I, I grew up kind of with the Beatles and the Stones. So I lean towards rock and I think all of a sudden there's this opportunity to bring in a Johnny Reed and do a country thing. I'm going, and then I realized right away, I'm in the entertainment business. I'm not in the, what Greg likes business. I'm in the entertainment business. So what does my customer want? So that's when we brought in country. That was the big eye opener. It's like, wait a sec. You know, we had great success. It went really well. And around that time I started meeting up until then. I'm just a Feldman guy. I'm looking what they got in their roster. I pick a few people. I start meeting some Jim Crestman's, some Jack Ross's, um, you know, Nick Minima's, um, Nicole Moore from the States has probably been the biggest game changer for me in the country. She, she's been my right hand, uh, like a little sister I never had. And she has, she's been absolutely incredible. She's very involved uh, in, in country music, was with Gil Cunningham for years, and I stayed with uh, Nicole. She's on her own now. So a lot of information from her, cross-referencing to the Jim Cressmans, to everyone I talk to. It's like, And then my own kids, and I have a small core group of people that I know. And then you're also cross-referencing a lot to other people in the industry that I've got to know, you know, guys that um, – I just talked to Kenny Hess this morning. He owns Rock and River. Kenny, how's this working out? You know, there's different people available to me. But the biggest thing I ask for is, is I'm always looking for, and I remember this years ago, I was in Portland, Maine playing hockey in 1980. And I heard about this band that played for 11 people and played for two hours. And afterwards, the write-up in this newspaper was this, this, this trio was incredible. It was the police. And they played 
you know, it was like 1979. And then two years later, I'm watching them in Maine for four and a half thousand people. And five years later, you know, you're watching them, you know, you name it, you know, selling out stadiums. And I'm always looking for that experience. Everyone always talks about, yeah, I went to see, you know, a certain band and Led Zeppelin opened. You know, I love those experiences. And that's what we provided a festival. You've got to trust us that we're spending all year long looking for a Thomas Rhett who played for me twice. And by the second time he played for me, people started to know who he was. But the first time he played for me, he was a $20,000 artist that was breaking out. And he's the nicest guy, the nicest band. They're half Canadian, half Americans in his band. They're absolutely wonderful to deal with. And, you know, you consider them friends in the entertainment industry now. But we brought them to Vancouver Island before anyone had seen them. And so you're always looking for the Snoop Dogg. You know, you're always looking for the Eric Church that people know who they are. But we're always exposing our our guests to an entertainment experience they're not going to get anywhere else because you're getting a smorgasbord of, of entertainment. You're getting 30, 40 artists over a weekend. And some of them, a lot of times people go away and go, that artist on Thursday night was incredible. And they didn't even know who that, that artist was. So... That's part of what we enjoy doing. It's a, you're exposing, uh, you know, people to an overall entertainment package that they came for one artist and they go away enjoying the whole package. And you're coordinating your talent buys in many cases with other festivals that are happening either in the Pacific Northwest around the same weekend and or what Kenny Hess is doing up in Merritt, BC with his festival. And, and I've explained this to a lot of people from outside the industry that, um, if you want to get those big headliners in to headline, say your Friday or Saturday night, you almost need to, to string together a full weekend for them. Because the reality is if you're at church, you can play a three day weekend quite easily within a thousand miles of, of wherever you're stationed. And in most cases that's Nashville, you know, there's lots of demand for these guys. So it's not always compelling enough to do a one-off offer for a headliner of that magnitude you have to work with other festivals in order to make a compelling enough case to get those headliners to come up, especially at that level. Absolutely. And we don't have a, a formal buying group, but it's a pretty solid group. And uh, that started with Nicole years ago. We were tied into a show in Oregon, um, Watershed, which is a live nation. And, you know, they are the big dog, but the artists aren't just going to play <clears throat> watershed and go okay now i'll do nothing else for the weekend there was also a big valley um which is now under new ownership a big valley we bought with kenny was in um in, is in merit but previously he was in mission so you know originally he was in mission and i'm here you know, on the island it's a little bit of you know who's the big dog and you know and then it's like wake up like we work together and 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 bring in artists and you know what he's uh, i mean i just talked to him an hour ago he's a, a very close personal friend love the guy and you know i like what he's doing and we're on the same page he's got a little different flavor to his i got a little different to mine but you know bc is fortunate that they got both of us for for that august weekend because we got two great shows but really i mean sometimes you can look at a lineup but we're almost 75 percent the same but we're you know 500 kilometers apart He's got a different market. I've got a different market. So, yeah, we bought a lot together. Big Valley we coordinate with. A little bit also still with Live Nation out of Watershed, but they, they tend to be later to the party. But, Jim, when I deal with you, you know, how many times have we said, you know, is so-and-so available? 
well, hey, I'll take him Friday, then Kenny can get him, then he can make his date in, uh, you know, in uh, Edmonton. So we're trying to help the artists have the best weekend they can and also to be as profitable as they can for that weekend because it's a hard way to make a living, very hard way to make a living. Definitely, and that's that's laudable of you to see the wisdom in transitioning your your competitors into collaborators, right? Like a lot of people don't get that. Uh, this business is full of entrepreneurial um, people who have very independent mindsets. They like the idea of proprietary lineups. I get it. But the reality is you are just looking to, you know, set your ego aside and build whatever festival lineup you can that's best for your customers and that works for the headliners of that, of that magnitude and that size. Yeah, I think that um, the volatility of, uh, of our business, I mean, we're outdoors. So number one, weather. You know, what's the weather going to do? And there's just so many things that can happen. So it's weather. Um, and inclement weather that we're not getting, you know, and, and then there's the perceived notion that something didn't work. Oh, it was a mud bowl somewhere else. Well, that's not what our festival's like, but, but people will think, or if there's a bunch of garbage at one site, they start painting you with the same brush. So it's, it's you know, it's difficult because you're outside. There's so many variables, especially now that we have our, our own stage and we built our facility, but before, I mean, I had generators go down. You know, I mean, there's entertainers about to go up, go out, and a, and a generator goes down. Next thing you know, you're running around and plugging this and plugging that. And of course, the show goes on, but that's what can happen outdoors. So there's, it's a very volatile business for sure. The worst thing you want to do is make it more difficult to get your artists and to start, you know, um, you know, having a, a tit for tat with another promoter. It's, you know, in the next region over. Work together and you're going to have more success. Well, good on you for uh, seeing the light on that. A lot of people don't in this business. So it um, speaks to your overall mandate of creating a win-win scenario for your customers, the artists, and obviously yourself. Um, a big cross-section of my audience are independent artists, artists who are getting into the game. How does someone who might be just getting their first single on radio, you know, they might be uh, in that 100,000 stream category for a song, but they're not yet at headliner status. How do they make a case to get on your lineup? Say they're not represented by a guy like myself or Nick Minema or Julie Pecan. Um, they are just looking, you know, they, they've got a dream to play Sunfest. They want to be on that main stage or your secondary stage. How do they go about the process of making a case to get on one of those stages? You know, I think that uh, we've had many artists that we've given the opportunity to, and then usually pretty quickly, they do have representation. They do have a Jim Crest in their life or a Nick or someone. Um, I think that a big part of it is, and it's a social media world, is to get, you know, in front of every, every festival has, you know, a, a, a link where an artist can get on the small stage. So the biggest thing is, is ego aside, you may be, you know, the, the big dog in the little town and there's, you know, hundreds or thousands, you know, a thousand people to come watch you play. But on a bigger stage, you got to realize you got to work your way up to it. You start in the fourth line to get to the first line usually. So one, you know, get the information out to, and, and push yourself to the promoters, to the owners of these festivals, but do it in a respectful and polite way. I've had some guys come like, you know, if you don't have me on your festival, I don't know if you're going to have any success. I'm like, 
all right, thanks for helping me out. You know, I got here at church this year, but, you know, I guess I won't be there without you. So be respectful. But the biggest thing is, is once they start having success is, and I've really seen this, it's, it's absolutely mirrored between professional sports and entertainment. The people that work the hardest, the people with the best attitudes, the respectful people that, that their team comes in, not just them, their whole team comes in and they represent themselves as pros. They stay in this game for 20, 30, 40 years. You know what? 30 years later, you might not be making $200,000 a show or $500,000 a show, but there's a lot of people out there that were going out and they're still making 40 and 50 a show and they're playing 50 and 100 times a year. And it's a pretty good income, you know? So, I mean, I really see that, you know, the ones that work the hard with the best attitude are the same way you get in front of the promoter to begin with. And it's the same way you stay in front of the, the audience for 20 and 30 years. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's uh, if you've got the talent, the ability, it just boils down to a war of attrition. How long can you hang in there? How long can you continue to max out on your efforts and uh, continue to work hard, build an audience, build a loyal audience? But back to your process, do you actually have an application process on your website? Um, not that I want to give your cell phone out, you know, or, or anything like that. But if someone's looking to reach out touch base with you guys do you have those uh do you have that ability in place on lake town ranch and also lake town shakedown or Sunfest, there is a link and you can go to it and it's you know vendor application artist applications we tend to do it very early so like right now we'd be taking we'd be doing an intake until about january 15th and we always extend it a bit for the right situation and, uh, and then we vet, we usually get between 50 and 100 applicants per show. And we try to get 10 to 15 of them on a show. We vet them through, we'll watch their, uh, their YouTube videos, we'll contact them, we'll, we'll go through. We have a bit of a process in-house. Um, my family's involved, my sons, as well as Mike Can, who runs our festivals for us now. He was involved with Tall Tree for years, had a lot of success with that as well. Um, and so we go through it, and he is an artist which really helps so he can has an ear for it. We have a like for it, but he has more of an ear for it, which is really nice. So there is a process and every one of our shows, I think most shows do have that. Maybe not, you know, you get to a watershed experience. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure every big valley and every rock and river, you know, Kenny has, so, you know, he's a blue collar player, had great success, you know, in his time and loves to try and give opportunities to people. And I'm the same, I'm a fourth liner. I'm always, I'm always voting for the little guy to move up. So, uh, yeah, you, you seem to be very receptive to uh, offering newer artists the opportunity to get on your stage to make a name for themselves. Well, you think of, like, Jim, how, did all, how do all of us get there? You know, if you're a carpenter, how did you get there? When you were an apprentice, or even before you're an apprentice, someone gives you an opportunity and you like it. It's your uncle, it's a neighbor, it's your hockey coach. And next thing you know, you've got a construction company. So, you know what I mean? Every one of us has had a hand up. And, uh, and in this industry, especially in Canada, and I hope people understand that, you know, I mean, in Canada, we got 37 million people. And if you can make it south of that 49th parallel, there's 350 million people. So if you're making a living up here, it's tougher to make a living uh, in the music business in Canada for an awful lot of artists. Yes, there's a Justin Bieber, you know, yes, there's, you know, Mendez, there's people you can say, look how big they are. But there's a whole bunch of bands grinding it out to make a living, and it's tougher if you don't uh, make it from that world stage. 
What's your favorite part about it? Is it is it watching the artists develop over time on your stage, coming back potentially year after year and growing their audience and their following? Or is it actually planning out and marketing the event? Or is it building out the site, which you've done? A, I mean, the access points on your site are amazing. It's so easy to navigate and get around. What is your favorite component of what you do? I, I guess the favorite component is <laughs> when the night comes together. It's usually 7, 38, 39 o'clock. And I walk around or I go to elevated areas where I can watch what is happening. And seeing it within reason, the movement, it's kind of seamless. You know, people, you know, you see the lineups aren't too big. People are smiling faces. No one's, you know, everyone's got that festival vibe, which is all about the guy you bump into is not like, it's not an aggressive thing. It should be, hey, sorry, bud, how you doing? Like when that vibe's out there where everyone's just having a good time and there for the right reason, and then the band comes on because, you know, that anticipation waiting for the artist to come out and you can almost feel it in the air and when they come out. So I just think when it, to me, I love building it. I love planning it, you know, love being involved with guys in the industry and ladies where you're, you know, you're coming together with artists, but really what it comes down to is when that comes together for that half hour, just before your big headliners on the big liner headliner hits and that first 15 to 20 minutes, just seeing it come together to me, it makes it all worthwhile. Then you go right back to you click into what's wrong. Is everything okay? What do I got to do now? Are they going to egress? Okay. It's just, it never ends. It's, you know, it's just like, it's almost like you can, it'd be like grandparents taking a bunch of grandchildren out in the boat. You love it, but you're always worried they're going to fall in. That's just, yeah, for sure. It's like, everyone okay? Is everyone okay? You know, it's just, even though you're enjoying the day, you're always worried something can go wrong. I think that's part and parcel to being a perfectionist, right? Well, I, that's I'm just where you live. Perfectionist, but our our care factor, our, our want to do the right thing with our whole family is way up there. We we really do. I said forever, and I still say it. I want to run not the biggest. I want to run the best, most organized, safest event in Canada. That's where we're setting the bar. Right. Well. So far, so good on that front, my friend. And you built out other properties as well, the Lake Down Shakedown. So tell me about the difference between the audiences. Do you see a lot of crossover these days with your country audience coming up for Sunfest and then uh, a lot of those same people coming back for Lake Town Shakedown, which is a bit more multi-genre? Last, uh, or in the last few years, you've had Snoop Dogg as one of your headliners. Uh, you mentioned that. Snoop Dogg, by the way, is now a boxing commentator in case you watched the uh, Mike Tyson-Roy Jones Jr. fight. Man, he was hilarious. It does it all, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, totally. But do you notice a big uh, – uh, is it a totally different audience or do you see a lot of crossover? The weekend audience is a different audience. Um, we, we did a classic rock show, and I loved it, but it's just really difficult to do. Um, really hard to do unless you get the big, big names, unless you got the police, the stones and someone else, of course it'll work. But if it's just the midline, um, lower end or midline, uh, classic rock, it just doesn't work. So that classic rock and country was a good overmix. Um, but it, like I say, it just wasn't working financially. When we went to the shakedown, which is more, um, and multi-genre is the only way I can say it because it's, it's a little bit of uh, hip hop, you know, some rap, you know, some, you know, newer music. You know, I don't know what you want to call it, but um, that crowd is a different crowd. 
And it totally is a different crowd. Like, I mean, I get Honda Civics, you know, with four kids in it, and they step out, and they're all dressed in Halloween costumes. And I'm not joking, but they're dressed to the nines. They're going to have there to have fun. And then in comes the next event, in comes, you know, a jacked up four by four Dodge pickup truck, you know, with a Canadian flag in the back. And, and you know, the kid, he's got the tattoo across here, and they're having fun. So it's just like, two different kind of groups, very different kind of vibe. Um, I will never be disrespectful to any of my customers, but the hip hop, the fun group, the respect, how they intermingle is just amazing. They left our site and I walked around the next morning. I went, was anyone here? Like it was spotless. No garbage. Absolutely spotless. And the whole vibe was just that, you know, that hunk kind of, I don't know, I can't describe it. It's just a really cool vibe. They're definitely a different group. I mean, they're 20 to 40-somethings, and I'm 60 now, and I get it because my dad didn't understand the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, couldn't get the long hair, you know. So I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to quite understand what the 30-year-olds enjoy, but how they intermingled with each other and how they had such a great time was wonderful to see. Like I say, the Sunfest crowd, more of a mixed bag, you know, a little bit more testosterone at times, definitely. But they also, they're learning too that, you know, it really, this is all about a good time and leave the aggression uh, somewhere else. So, you know, it, it really is starting to come together for both events, but they're, they're definitely different. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been to the Sunfest event uh, a couple of times, and I can I can testify to that. It's just a great vibe. Everybody's having fun. Not a lot of troublemakers on site. Uh, a really congregational and communal aspect to what you're doing out there. And I think that's something that obviously people are missing as live music has gone by the wayside with what's happened with COVID. How confident are you that you guys are going to be able to pull off events in 2021 as things sit right now? It's, uh, you know, the, the goalposts seem to come closer and move further away by the day, by the week. Um, you know, I was 75, 80% confident a few months ago. I'm probably 95, 99% confident now. And why I say that is, and, and I like, and Jim, you know me, I like my math. I mean, we're into this. We're about 250 days into COVID. It hit us last March. We'll do the months, and it's now December. Our shows aren't happening for another 250 days. And we have a vaccine, multiple vaccines. Um, I, I think that, I think the worst we're going to have it, I personally think, is, you know, November, December, January. And I think it's going to turn the corner. You know, the, 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 we saw that lady in the U.K., got the first vaccine, well, it's going to explode now. You know, they're going to go from thousands a day to hundreds of thousands to millions of people around the world will get the vaccine, you know, in the months coming. So with that, one of the things we did do, and this is uh, Live Nation um, are my partners, joint venture partners in, uh, in the shakedown, which has been wonderful because, you know, we're, uh, I'm definitely the most hanging on to the elephant on this case, but, uh, they really respect what we do and the family atmosphere and the, the, uh, the customer comforts we do so well here. They love, they just go, you do that. And they help me with the bands. And, you know, so the Wu-Tangs and the Snoops and people like that, they land in our lap pretty easy, which is nice. And uh, we have taken 
our July 1st show, which is just how it started. We picked a weekend a few years ago and did it the July 1st, which is not always on a weekend. And we moved it this year. No one knows us yet, but uh, we know it. And we're moving it back to the September long weekend. We're going to leave it there. So that consequently is another 60 days later. So right. my first show of any size is the August 1st weekend, which is still, you know, seven and a half full months away, you know, 225 days away. So I feel very confident that the worst case scenario, if something went sideways because artists couldn't get in, we will, we will have a show. It'll be more Canadian. Right. Which speaks well for the Canadian industry if that happens. And, you know, it could be a win-win either way. Yeah, I think you're right. I think with the um, distribution of vaccine, uh, the inevitable herd immunity, which is happening, you know, as uh, more people contract and, and hopefully recover uh, quickly from the disease, um, I think you're right. I think you've got a really good chance at, at getting things out of the gate for next summer. Now, you mentioned early in the conversation about moving this event because you, you outgrew certain sites that you were on. How receptive have the cities and municipalities been to allowing you to host this event? Because, you know, the reality is you're a massive economic driver, economic impact boon for the area, but there's also more traffic, more people, and uh, that doesn't always rub all the residents in the area right. You know, I, I think... Uh at all locations, I mean, the first move was more or less the, the people that owned uh, uh, Providence Farm, which is uh, it's a farm. It is a working farm. It, it's a collective, absolutely wonderful things they do for special needs and in our community. So that one was very respectful. And I looked at it, and, and 3,000 people, I went, oh, this isn't going to work. You know, and they were really nice. It was, it was like, you know, thanks, Greg. But, you know, the second one was a couple of neighbors um, but when we went to the couch and exhibition, it's really designed to put on big events and, but the proximity to the Island highway, the main road up and down Vancouver Island, we're right on it. So we had a backup of two kilometers long for vehicles to come in. So that one there, you know, same thing. But when we went to Lake couch we went through the whole process, we are zoned for, um, entertainment. We are zoned for 15 nights unlimited on the main stage. So we can hold 15, 20,000 people in that facility on the main stage 15 times a year, which may not seem like a lot, but if you look through the amphitheaters and you take out uh, the LA Bowl and you take out a, uh, Red Rocks and take out a few of the big ones, um, really they only run 10 to 15 times a year. So when we did go, you know what, I, I want to be respectful, but I, I think what it really comes down to is Change scares a lot of people, and it definitely scares, you know, in your neighborhood when, when a subdivision is going to change or you're going to add uh, certain businesses to an area. You see it. There's a concern about change, and uh, you have to, you know, come in and explain and show your, 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 your engineers, your sound engineers, and, I mean, biologists' reports and everything we put in, try and satisfy people so they can understand what's going to happen. What really happened there is we had a very small contingent that wasn't happy. Um, and then we haven't heard from for the last few years. So obviously it worked out all right, but you're always a little bit of walking a tightrope. You got to be respectful for your neighbors because you are changing their world, but you're also changing it in good ways. I mean, the community we've gone to, 
Um, and, and I, once again, I keep saying the disrespectful, but I grew up here. I love Lake Cowichan. I went to Okanagan, or to, sorry, to, uh, uh, Lake Cowichan Hockey School with Orlan Curtinback, who's a personal friend now and part of my alumni on the Canucks. And, uh, and now, uh, you know, he had a hockey school out there in 1970. I love that little town. Went down to the duck pond swimming and skating and great summers. And that brought a lot of people in and brought a lot to that community. If you look at that town now, 10, 20 years ago, 20, 30-year-olds didn't want to live in that town. And now they live in a town that Eric Church and Carrie Underwood and Thomas Rhett and everyone's come out and played at. Snoop Dogg's played there. It just kind of created, you know, hey, this is a cool little town. A lot of stuff happening here. And, and more businesses have evolved and starting to, to regenerate. So it's been healthy. Now, if you lived there and you wanted it totally quiet and didn't want any of this, you know, you're on your uh, retirement check and everything's beautiful. Maybe you're not happy with that. But most people look at it and go, it's an opportunity for their, their kids you know, and their, and their grandkids, and it has helped overall. And I, the one of the things I like about it is it's, uh, it, yes, there's sound, but it's relatively a clean environment that brings a lot of people in. It's tourism at its best. It really is. So, you know, overall, you know, you're always stick-handling a little bit, trying to keep, uh, and we're totally attuned to it. If we have a concern with a neighbor, I go, I see the neighbor. If I don't see the neighbor, I phone someone that I know very well. He talks to the neighbor. I go, we have a coffee, how can I make this right? And I've done that 20 times here in the last five years, and everyone appreciates that, you know, that I'm available, and then I'll go see them. Right, and you're willing to uh, confront whatever concerns they have and hopefully alleviate them and, you know, remind people that really this is only a couple weekends a year during the summer. You know, it's it's not like you're doing this uh, 200 nights a year. Now, do you have plans, assuming everything comes off well in 2021, to expand, maybe add more festival properties on site, do more one-off concert events? What's your overall vision for this in the future? What, I, what I'm what i missing right now, and I think I what I've been pushing towards, and I've talked to you, Jim, many times, talked to the guys at Live Nation, um, we're missing the one-off concert. And last year... Um, we had a date held for us and I talked to you about it cause they were also uh, looking at Alaska. I had a date held for the Foo Fighters. So, uh, I'm not going to invent, but maybe I am inventing cause it's a unique experience we have here. We're going to, uh, create not a festival, but it'll be, you know, a, a, a camping concert event. So you can come to one of our events. It's one night. It's the Foo Fighters. We'll have a few bands on before, but unlike going to an arena, parking your car and driving away, you can come to us, park, enjoy the event, and go home. You can use our shuttles, or you can come and camp for the night. Come in early. You know, you can partake in a few, uh, you know, a few drinks. You know, you're safe. You can go back, relax at the campsite, and go home the next day. So that's the one that I think is missing. It's a, it's the one-off. It's, uh, you know, love to have the Foo Fighters. But I can go on and on, and the Bruno Marses and the people that can play. They have nowhere else to play in Vancouver island because those bands have to play for 15 12 15 20,000 people the economics does not work going to a 5,000 seat uh, arena and trying to charge 350 dollars a ticket yeah the math just doesn't make any sense so you're absolutely right the only challenge you guys have is it's somewhat seasonal you know you're looking to do those shows in the months where you could host an event of that size and and not deal with the implications of bad weather oh exactly so that's the thing is, I think the island, and I know this, um, 
we're starved for the entertainment because we don't get the Foo Fighters. So if the Foo Fighters were playing at our, 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 uh, our site on a Wednesday night, it would be sold out and everyone would go to work late the next day or not go to work Thursday and they'd be there because we save six, $700 minimum going to Lake Town to a show as opposed to going to Vancouver for a show because you've got to go across the ferries both ways. You've got to lose a day, day and a half worth of work. You could be anywhere in Vancouver Island, leave at four o'clock from work and see a show at our, our site at eight o'clock in the night. Right, and potentially be home that night if you absolutely. if you prefer that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I see the, the one-off concerts, one or two. I see there's room for, we have a smaller, it's not ours, we're the, the host for it, we're the, uh, the landlord, per se, um, for a bluegrass festival that's been established for years and came to us and grew the first year. And, of course, the second year, we hit COVID. So we have a bluegrass festival. I could see some more smaller type events, like that possibly. I don't think we'll run them, but we'd be available. But we have been approached from, I mean, everything. We, you know, very close with uh, um, Aaron and Mel Melanie Hamilton, um, their First Nations uh, um, next door to us. And they've thought of putting on a gathering of nations there. I've had religious re revivals. I've had uh, Ritchie Brothers Auction. I mean, we have a large event that is multi-purpose that could do you know, we could do things for 500 people or for 20,000 people. So it's, we actually do weddings on site now and that's evolving. So there's smaller things that can kind of keep us more busy. Where we're really going is, is we've always been zoned for 50 cabins and 300 park models or RV sites up the hill. And that's what we're actively working on now. So we're building a campground up the hill. Uh, that'll be a, a, an RV resort up the hill. So it can be camping, RVs, full services. There'll be music every weekend at a small stage, hiking, biking, lots of activities for kids. So that's where we're really going to now. And then, like I say, the festival's down below. Really like the two we've got. There could be the opportunity for maybe one more of a large size. But I think the better opportunity is for one, two, or three of the one nights. I mean, Jim, you've mentioned... You know, you've had some packages go through, and if the, the weekend lined up, you know, we ZZ Top's going through with who were they? Cheap with? Trick. They were, you know, boom, done. Yep. You know, absolutely. It's a little early in the season. We also talked about Melon Camp, but unfortunately, that ended up on the West Coast in November. But yep. uh, that's the type of artist that would be perfect for your site for a one off. Absolutely. And we could do them for, you know, 3,000 to 15,000. So it's just a matter of, and we're kind of a May 15 to September 15, but, you know, we don't need to run 10 shows. If we get one, that's wonderful. If we got two or three, that's wonderful. Greg, I commend you and your family. The business is better because of people like yourself who come from outside it in many cases and uh, take their entrepreneurial spirit and make a run for it. And, uh, and go after it, especially in the way you have with uh, such fidelity for excellence in terms of execution and site development and talent procurement. Um, thanks for taking the time today, man. It was good to get some insight into your process. Well, thank you. Uh, all of this has been possible because of a, a wonderful family and a very supportive wife of 40 years this year. And uh, my boys and you know my immediate family. And on top of that, a whole bunch of wonderful friends and people in this community and also Jim guys like you and, and the Kenny Hesses and everyone I've met in this industry, very supportive, 
we've all worked together and you know what it's all for a common cause we love we love the entertainment and uh and here's love putting these events together so thank you and in true agent fashion i will be calling you back and trying to sell you some more acts later on today how about that sounds perfect i look forward to chatting with you yeah. uh -huh. thanks great take care Jim. bye-bye